Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're going back to the story of Jacob Blake and um, Kyle Rittenhouse. And my guest today is going to be talking about the real story, not the story that we heard in various uh, ways, depending upon which channel you were watching and what their political beliefs are, but the inside story um, that is really revealing a more profound truth than any of that which we have seen or heard. So I'd like to welcome to the show... um, (laughs) Yes, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Rob Mons. <laughs> I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to get Thank you for having me. Okay. Rob, great. Um, you know, I, did you know I do a column called Inside the Criminal Mind? And uh-huh. do you by any chance, I did one on Kyle Rittenhouse. Do you, do you by any chance read that? So I haven't read that piece, no. Because, um, because I talk about his whole family life and what he was doing there, like who he was. We never really got to see who he was. But I love your uh, your documentary, which really makes the connection to all of the people in the whole uh, Kenosha story. Um, so where would you like to start? <laughs> I guess we should start. Well, with- I mean, a big thing is... Well, you know what? Let me back up a little bit because I want to introduce you properly um, <laughs> with your credentials. You know, I'll tell you the truth. I was doing, I did an interview before this and it was supposed to be only a half an hour and the woman kept me on for an hour. So that's why I'm kind of... Um, well, let me, let me introduce myself. So I run Good Kid Productions, which is a video documentary production shop out here in Virginia. And we have our own YouTube channel. And the essential value that we're trying to provide is Netflix level production quality in terms of just graphics, editing, color correction, sound, but on topics and taking analytical angles that kind of annihilate some of the neat political pieties that would saturate a place like Beverly Hills, right? (laughs) And what you, you tend to not see as much unless it's a David Chappelle special on a place like Netflix. So we do kind of specialized 20, 30 minute mini documentaries. And the latest one, we go back to this place called Kenosha, Wisconsin, which has the rare. Let me just be you. That was a wonderful introduction, but let me add to that because you deserve more. Um, (laughs) Rob is the co-founder and CEO of good fit, good kid productions, as he said, but, uh, his online documentary work has attracted millions of views, and I watched your documentary on this. It is amazing. Um, and he's gotten coverage in the New York Times and the Washington Post, The Economist, USA Today, The Megyn Kelly Show, etc. He was graduated from Brown University in 2005 with a degree in philosophy and precisely zero marketable skills. <laughs> you don't have to include that part. That's not necessary. <laughs> That's not necessary. It's in your you bio. Know that. <laughs> well, look where you've come. That's the point. <laughs> and somehow he ended up living on a 50-acre farm in Virginia. I am so jealous. In the Virginia woods with a wife and three children. Do you ride horses? No, not yet. Uh, I, you know, my, my main contribution to the family is I'm, I'm relatively good at chainsawing. And I'm nice with a, a riding lawnmower, but okay. I mean, that sounds like heaven. 50, 50 acres. Um, I ride yeah. horses. That's why I asked. In Virginia, of course, is a horse state. All right. We have a lot of horses we, near us. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can go back to the to the um, to the documentary, uh, the Broken Boys of Kenosha. Take it away. And Kenosha just has, it's otherwise an unremarkable city, perfectly pleasant. It used to be a manufacturing town. It's kind of the classic victim of the changes in the global economy. In the 1990s, a lot of the auto manufacturing disappeared. And it became this very quiet kind of bedroom community for people that are going to Chicago or Milwaukee. But in the summer of 2020, it had the rare distinction of birthing not one, but two separate 
enormously viral news items, right? One of them is Kyle Rittenhouse, which I'd imagine most people know that name. The, the other one is a guy by the name of Jacob Blake, who at the time, this is maybe two or three weeks after George Floyd, at the time, according to a six-second snippet from an iPhone shot from across the street, was another kind of unarmed black man who'd been victimized by you know systemic racism in the Kenosha Police Department. That incident, which is entirely uh, based on propagandistic lies, is what prompts a bunch of protesters and rioters and activists to descend on Kenosha, which then three days later prompts Kyle Rittenhouse to come down with a gun to sort of defend private property because the city was entirely overwhelmed by protesters and the governor had refused multiple offers to flood the city with National Guard. And what the doc attempts to do is there was a very particular propagandistic fact-free narrative that ended up engulfing Jacob Blake. We kind of carefully dissect it and kind of show all the lies about what was said. But there was kind of an overreaction on the right related to Kyle Rittenhouse, which has its own set of like fictions and a uh, I think a blind aggression to erect him as a martyr, a martyr of, you know, what leftist corporate media. And I think both of those narratives ended up missing the actual story of Kenosha, and which is the shared trauma between Rittenhouse, Jacob Blake, and two other people who I don't necessarily want to get into because I want it to be a little bit of a mystery. Like I got to, I want to give people a little bit of a taste. And if they want to know, there's <laughs> two, the two other essential characters of this also suffered that same foundation destabilizing trauma as Rittenhouse and Jacob Blake. And these are the kind of stories that get ignored by the current cycle of media. I mean, the, the way the media metabolizes viral news incidences, right? It's ultimately not about getting to the truth. It's about packaging this news item to feed the partisan prejudices of the audience feed it to them for as long as possible, then you move on to the next outrage. But like, what if you don't move on to the next outrage? What if you go back? And I can tell you, having gone to Kenosha for a couple of days, there are still people today in 2023 where it is a raw wound for the way that they, their city was lied about and the way that those cases were lied about. Interesting. You know, also, of course, there's the parade not long after this whole um, riot and so on with this, these protests and the Blake Rittenhouse story. There is the uh, the killer, uh, the man who um, drove his car into the parade and killed people and injured people. And of course, that was due to his to the bail reforms and you know how he was gotten yeah. out of jail um, after he committed many crimes. Um, but was let out of jail. Anyhow, but let's not go talk about him right now. Um, let's start first with Jacob Blake. Now, I know that you want to leave some, uh, leave some. Don't uh, give it all away. Don't give the goods all away. Don't tell okay. the ending. All right. Don't tell the ending to the sixth sense. Come on. You can't ruin when, it for people. You mean when Kyle Rittenhouse marries Kim Kardashian? You don't no, no, no. The Ritt <laughs> <laughs> whatever, oh. whatever, people, whatever people need to click. And again, People can watch the whole documentary, of course, for free on our YouTube channel, which is Good Kid Productions. So you just go Good Kid Productions on YouTube. You'll find it. It'll be right there on the homepage. But don't do it yet. <laughs> don't do yeah. it you finish listening. Okay, so let's start with Jacob Blake then. Now, you talk about seven uh, lies that were told, seven myths about that incident, his a black man being killed by a white cop. Um and so you don't want to go through all seven. So why don't you pick a few? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, one of them is that Jacob Blake was unarmed. Uh, just, I mean, there's publicly available documents from the Wisconsin Judicial System, uh, Justice Department that investigated that claim and 100% debunked it. We have definitive evidence that Jacob Blake had an open knife in his right hand right at the moment he was shot. Another one of the lies that really became a go-to talking point among uh, then presidential candidate Joe Biden, then VP candidate Kamala Harris, 
essentially all the anchors of every major nightly news program and every morning news program, which was that Jacob Blake was shot in the back seven times. And I think part of it is the seven. The seven has these like deep mythic Christian religious resonances to it. Like it's this, this man is truly a martyr Mm. to the unencumbered racist oppression that still haunts America. And it turns out he wasn't shot in the back seven times. He was shot in the back four times, which is not a pedantic point because the other three shots were in his left flank, which indicated at the time that the police officer Shesky pulled the trigger, Jacob Blake had been swinging back around to slash at him with the open knight in his right hand, right? And the, the, the deeper, really most important myth is, and again, this is a myth repeated by many of the people who now run your country mm-hmm. that Jacob Blake, uh, that the police officer put Jacob Blake's kids in danger because Jacob Blake was trying to get into a van and he, two of his sons were in the car. And we now know the police officer was not putting those kids in danger. He was preventing Jacob Blake from kidnapping those children. Yes. A white police officer was preventing the kidnapping, the hijacking of two black boys. And that police officer, I now know, has been permanently been called off of street patrol. He spends his entire life in an office in Kenosha because his reputation is permanently ruined for essentially doing the right thing. Yes, which actually, could you um, back up a little bit and talk about um, what Jacob Blake was doing there in the first place? Well, he and Lucretia Booker had a couple kids together. They were estranged. He had sexually assaulted her just a couple months previously. So that when he, and so there was an outstanding warrant for his arrest. They go to a birthday party. Sorry, sorry. Lucretia Booker invites Jacob Blake to a birthday party of one of their sons. Again, but they're not married. They're estranged. And during that birthday party, they get into a fight. And she, and then he goes outside. And she's worried that he's about to steal her car. She has good reason to be worried that she's going to steal his car. She, he's going to steal a car because like two months before Jacob Blake had stolen her car and stolen a thousand dollars out of her checking account. And so she calls the police and says, you got to come here and stop him from, from taking the car. And uh, over the course of the two minutes between that phone call registering and the police officers arriving, Jacob Blake puts two of their kids into the van, which these are kids he does not have custody of. And that's what, and that's what the police officer walks into. And it just, I think part of what drove me to want to pursue this project, why is it worth deconstructing relatively old news items? Is because everybody who covered the story claimed to care the most about those black boys in that van. And the precise people that get victimized by the propaganda of Jacob Blake are those black boys in that van, right? They're the ones who get victimized when you don't tell the truth about what happened. Nobody's ever held accountable. Nobody's ever fired for lying. Nobody's ever confronted with the true facts. They're just allowed to spew their fact-free propaganda for 36 hours when this, has a vi- this is a viral moment. And they get to move on and everybody keeps their jobs. But it's like, no, bro, like, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. And now that we have the tools to build our own media companies and make our own cool documentaries and go on radio shows and get the word out, we're, we don't have to ask permission from the kind of legacy corporate media establishment to really investigate stories like this. That's, we're going to hold them accountable. That's what we're going to do. And, tr- and try to also reveal these kind of deeper, darker, true traumas that are actually the main problems facing 2023 America. Well, thank goodness for people like you. And there, I guess there aren't many of you. Um, you know, the um, when we come back, um, the, the theme of, like I said in the title, fatherlessness in Kenosha, um, the theme is so ironic that these various people are connected. I mean, it's 
you know, in some ways it's to be expected, but um, it's so ironic that the key players all had problems with their father, absent fathers, abusive fathers. Um, and, and, you know, that's when, when fathers are away, that is boys, especially, I mean, girls are, are damaged in a different way. Girls are damaged uh, by then seeking out bad boys because they, they didn't get attention from their father. Um, but boys uh, do get ruined uh, in these, in, in lawlessness kinds of ways. So this it's so interesting how you connected them all. Well, yeah, and I know we gotta gotta go to break, but there's ways in which men, it turns out, boys are uniquely vulnerable to fatherlessness, and that girls we're learning are actually more resilient, and that's part of what makes this such a an urgent issue. Okay, and when we come back, <laughs> my guest Rob Mons will talk more about that. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host. Dr. Carol Lieberman. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with a fabulous guest who did a fabulous documentary. You you know, my guest is Rob Muntz, but um, I really hope that you, um, I mean, obviously it's on the in- internet and so everybody can watch it. I hope that, um, what are your plans besides having it on your channel on the internet? Are you also going to try to, I mean, I'm, I was so amazed where, where I'm coming from is, I was so amazed when I watched it. It was so important. And my first thought was I, everybody needs to see this. So do you have additional um, plans for it? <sighs> I'm trying my best. I'm, try, I'm, you know, we're part of part of the idea is that we're trying to build a channel outside of normal kind of Hollywood woke oversight. The problem is we're still using channels that are themselves infected with some ideology. So people will notice when they go to try to see the documentary that it's it's technically got stopped with something called age restriction, which means you can watch it. You have to just sign in, and the people that run YouTube have determined that it's inappropriate or immature or graphic content. We've gone back and forth with them. And again, it, it deals with some heady issues, but there's nothing graphic or violent or sexual in it. Trying to figure out what the problem is. Why is it that you're age restricting it? Because this also affects whether or not it gets recommended to people. And we never got an answer. We got, we got emails from people that I don't think really were people. I think they were like chat GPS, AI generated responses. And the restriction's still there. So people can watch it. You just got to sign in, but it also limits our ability to get in an audience. 
And um, so I, I, I mean, I just don't part of a part of the whole thesis of the company is that we're doing things that would never get greenlit by a proper Hollywood studio because of their political, because it breaks their political dogmas. And I don't, I can't see ourselves operating through, you know, the mainstream channels. But the problem is like, you know, if you want to put something up on Rumble, that's fine. It's never going to get censored. But the audience at Rumble is a microscopically small fraction of the audience of YouTube. So this became a therapy session, which is, I guess, appropriate given your, given your day job. <laughs> so we're just trying to, yeah, get, get it in front of as many people as possible. Again, it's a, what we're doing is unique in the media marketplace in terms of the highest quality production and storytelling directly attacking woke shibboleths that we give away for free on the internet and that we make videos that are reasonably pretty long, right? Like I'm not only not on TikTok, I'm frightened by TikTok. I don't make things that are one minute long. Telling stories about complex, complicated, heady issues takes time. So this Kenosha documentary is 30 minutes. It might as well be roots, right? Given the attention span of the average 26 year old. <laughs> but that's the that's the hole in the market we're trying to fix. And but given the response so far, it does feel like there's a lot of people out there that are thirsty for stuff that has swagger but is truthful. I, well, I do think a lot of people realize they're being actively lied to and misinformed by the kind of respectable prestige media operations. And that kind of explains the growth of, you know, a bunch of these writers on Substack and other alternative news sources. Yes, people don't like uh, the mainstream, you know, um, Hollywood houses, I guess, wouldn't like the fact that you poked holes in these seven myths, you know, about yeah. uh, Jacob Blake, for example. I mean, that's the, probably the simplest way to explain it. And then also, of course, there are a lot of people who don't like Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's in, oh, and, and Rittenhouse is coming up again. Did, maybe you... I bet you you noticed this um, with the whole thing with Alec Baldwin. Yeah, uh, they on on Twitter. You know, they're, they're talking about how Alec Baldwin actually killed somebody. I mean, the difference between Alec Baldwin and Kyle Rittenhouse is that uh, Alec Baldwin accidentally killed somebody, and Kyle Rittenhouse purposely killed people. I don't know, but all of a sudden they're they're using um, Alec Baldwin's story as an excuse to bring back Kyle Rittenhouse and not in a very uh, nice way. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, <clears throat> for Rittenhouse, and this has come up because, you know, I'll go on some right-wing conservative libertarian news organizations, and I try to very subtly and lovingly, though, poke holes in what their, the, the martyrdom concept that, they're, that they know that they're obligated to project upon Kyle Rittenhouse. That in order to be a good team player, at least on the right, that's where Kyle Rittenhouse is the baby-faced symbol of gun rights in this country. He's an American hero. He got screwed by woke leftist corporate media. And again, there was a murder trial uh, for Kyle Rittenhouse because he ended up you know, killing two people that night that he was in Kenosha. And he got off. And this is supposed to be, you know, uh, unimpeachable victory. This is justice. And I, I'm saying to them, like, I don't want you, our documentary is not trying to convince you that there wasn't something brave or even admirable in what Kyle Rittenhouse did that night in Kenosha in the summer of 2020. But we are trying to convince you that he was 17 years old. He's a 17 year old adolescent. His prefrontal cortex still needs a another like eight or nine years to fully develop. And that there are why it's worth asking the question who let a 17 year old out of the house to go pick up his AR 15 and wander into a war zone. Should he have been there in the first place? Which again is like, that's its own kind of sacrilege within, you know, Fox, Fox news, right wing media ecosystem. But you know, Kyle also, as you know, well, had a complete catastrophe of a father, uh, an abusive alcoholic who punched his mother in her stomach when Kyle was four. They divorced shortly after that. And 
even during Kyle's murder trial, his nationally televised murder trial, in which he potentially was risking life in prison, Mike Rittenhouse, Kyle's dad, never made a peep, never showed up anywhere, didn't show up at the courthouse, certainly never did any interviews, never publicly expressed solidarity with his son. Homie just hid in the shadows the whole time. That's the kind of man he is. And if that's the kind of man you have the uh, misfortune of having as a father, you're not going to have someone, if you're an adolescent male, to prevent you from uh, doing things that are catastrophically naive, like wandering into war zones with AR-15s, <laughs> right? Yes, um, absolutely. Well, this is sort of a good segue to the fatherlessness issue. Um, so yeah. tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, so what we try to do is, <clears throat> I mean, some of our heroes here at Good Kid aren't just like great, you know, conservative libertarian polemicists. But there's also kind of story-based deconstructive journalists like a Michael Lewis or a Malcolm Gladwell that are about taking some issue that you think you understood and kind of breaking it into its constituent parts and then showing you the real story you missed. And that's kind of what we do for this, which is Rittenhouse and Jacob Blake deconstructing those stories and showing the shared trauma between the two of them is a lack of fathers and that they are situated within a broader national trend in America, which is one out of every three boys in this country grows up without a dad, which is the is tied with the UK for the highest rate in the whole world, right? It's a catastrophe. And we're getting to witness the the, the kind of the costs of that catastrophe. Kind of an unprecedented mass social experiment in fatherlessness what happens to boys when that happens and again as i teased before we went to break i I, as you know well like having dysfunctional families is bad and traumatizes girls (laughs) in ways that will haunt them until they die if they don't face that trauma right but for boys we're learning that they're actually you know despite the kind of caricature of men is kind of strong and emotionless and and uh you know the kind of courageous inflexible type they actually in adolescence are are much more vulnerable to fatherlessness than girls are and that there's a lot more psychological disruption and chaos that ends up seeping into them if they don't have a good dad and that dads in particular you know right as adolescence starts have a very unique role to play that moms generally are not well equipped to play or don't have the instincts for which is partly like taking this like you know, testosterone fueled, like ancient male energy that's about to emerge in the boy's body. And he's being flooded with these neurochemicals. Is he, is he kind of is being wrenched into adulthood? And you have a dad to say, like, what to do with that energy? Because it's a very powerful force. It's a, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a force of creation. But if it's improperly channeled, if it's not properly tutored, it's also a force of destruction, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And we got to witness the untutored male energy unanchored from paternal guidance on a mass scale in Kenosha, Wisconsin on a mass scale. And I don't, I don't think that there's any neat policy solution to this, the epidemic of fatherlessness in this country. I don't know, but if there is a solution, it has to at least start by articulating the truth of the status quo. You have to at least face reality in order to fix reality. <laughs> um, I know you make a point in the documentary about how, uh, like nature, you know, if nature shows, there's a mother, I mean, the way we're, we are created, I mean, putting God aside for a minute, <laughs> you know, it's a man and a woman um, who create a baby. And um, in nature, the man and the woman are supposed to stay there, you know, to raise the baby. Yes, you could point out, um, there are certain other species where where the father doesn't stay or the mother doesn't stay even after they they get to be a certain age. But the ideal, uh, it, we were made to have a mother and a father to raise us. And um, yes, this whole, you know, when it got to be cool or trendy or something to um, to, ha- to get divorced and to, or to not even get married, really, um, yeah. and. And to just uh, you know have kids in various places and so on, um, 
it, it is it is really at the root of a lot of the problems. Um, you know, this the the men with the male, the boys with this male energy that they start to get run amok, as did um, Jacob Blake and Car Kyle Rittenhouse. You know, I was mentioning the uh, the essay that I wrote about uh, about Kyle uh, inside the criminal mind. Um, he Kyle, and I'm sure you know this, but I'm just uh, giving some backstory. Kyle's when they got divorced, when Kyle's parents got divorced at four years old after his father uh, was charged with domestic battery and so on. Um, then his mother, he stayed with his mother, and his mother uh, was not really able. He also had two sisters, and they were not really able to pay for the mother couldn't afford to uh, keep them in a very uh, she had a lot of financial problems. They had to keep moving from place to place. And um, and so he, Kyle, became um, his whole goal since he was a little boy and abandoned by his father was um, to try to say, like I, I wrote, he felt that if he became, uh, here, I'll just read this paragraph. It was this succession of one trauma after another throughout his life with no father to protect the family that unconsciously spurred Kyle on to learn how to protect them himself. He felt that if he became a policeman or fireman, he could protect his family from harm. And if he became an EMT or nurse, he could protect them from getting sick. Kyle identified with people feeling helpless and needing to be rescued because inside he was feeling helpless himself. Right. I mean, and, and again, there's a lot of, um, you know, he, he there's a lot of admirable things that he was doing. Volunteer firefighter, kind of yeah, junior police academy. But I mean, in the in the trial, the murder trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, that also was like wall to wall cable news catnip. <laughs> the leader of the kind of makeshift private security force that had put out the bat signal for people to come to Kenosha on that second and third night of riots in Kenosha. It's a guy named Ryan Balsh. He's asked to testify. And in his testimony, Ryan Balsh, again, who's the kind of guy that would start a private police force in order to protect private property. He's not a member of the New York Times editorial page, right? He says repeatedly, Kyle seemed young. He seemed inexperienced. We had to scold him because he would say things that were needlessly antagonizing the protesters. Again, not saying the protesters were right, not saying that Black Lives Matter was the modern civil rights movement or whatever, but just like there's ways that you ought to conduct yourselves under scary situations. And Ryan was like, yo, we worried about him. And that's the, for the vast majority of the night, Ryan Bolsh was on Kyle Rittenhouse's hip essentially serving as like a kind of co-protector and a chaperone. Mm -hmm. Kyle gets into trouble when he, on accident, detaches from Ryan Balch. So the, all the sh everything that went down afterwards, the only reason you know Rittenhouse's name is because he fell outside the parameters of Ryan Balch's protection, right? Because Ryan knew what everybody knows, which is an, a 17-year-old, no matter how, uh, no matter how, idealistic they may be is still a 17 year old and is not going to be well equipped to navigate violent chaotic situations like what was descending upon Kenosha right like you're not supposed to put 17 year olds in that position and when you do you get what happened right you get dead bodies which is not to defend Black Lives Matter it's not to defend not even necessarily to defend the people that Kyle Rittenhouse killed but there are consequences to mass paternal neglect and you know you're not gonna you're not gonna hear that from kind of you know ideologically corrupted legacy media and you know what's so striking is the picture of kyle against this background of things in flames and all that this little baby faced you know, he looks like a doll. He looks like a pretend um, someone, uh, like a cartoon figure in a in a sense. Someone going off to battle, you know, and he he just looks like he's twelve. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, bad things happen when when seventeen year olds are put into 
war zones. And, you know, and it's just disappointing to know that a lot of his boosters, particularly the people that tried to make money and successfully did make money, monetized his fame, made it verboten to mention such criticisms, right? Like they're very good at pointing out the kind of quasi-religious nature of wokeness as it infects, you know, NBC. But they're not, they're, you know, if you're enthralled to your own, your own quasi-religious political doctrines on your own side, you're also not going to, you're, you're, you're not going to notice when you render certain things verboten. You're not, you know, you're not allowed to criticize the, the sacred martyr of Kyle Rittenhouse. And that's kind of, you know, that's what we do. And I think there's, you know, there's a lot of truth underlying the partisan myths. Yes, but we'll talk more about that. I know there's a whole, um, uh, there were people who kind of got into that whole thing who were really, who used Kyle, actually, for their own uh, notoriety. Of course, yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, conservatism, Inc. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could talk about Turning Point USA, I'm not sure, yeah, but yeah, that's that's what they do, man, that's what they do, and they're good at it. <laughs> All right, well, unfortunately, we have to take another break. Um, you're listening to Rob Muntz, who is the creator of this amazing documentary called The Broken Boys of Kenosha, um, getting into the backstory of um, Jacob Blake and Kyle Rittenhouse, stuff you have not seen before. Um, so, and and really, um, I know that I clicked on the link. Would, would the link be um, goodkidsproductions.com? Where, where should that, people click? Yeah, basically, they just go to Good Kid Productions on YouTube. Okay. That's the best place to go. And you'll find all our other, all, all our other stuff, too. Okay. And when we come back, we're going to hear more um, from Rob Bonds. Uh, we'll talk, let's talk a little bit more about, um, you know, get into the backstory. I mean, I know you don't want to give it all away, but whatever you feel <laughs> like you want to talk about. In this yeah, story. I'm sure I'll, I'll think I'll think of something. Yeah. All right. All right. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I want to get right back to my guest, Rob Munz, who wrote this, who did this, created this uh, amazing documentary, The Broken Boys of Kenosha, talking about um, Jacob Blake, Kyle Rittenhouse, and others that are going to be a surprise. <laughs> um, so what made you, um, also I, I want to uh, plug his, his website where he has a number of um, documentaries. It's goodkidproductions.com. And I'll also put on the uh, descriptive page the exact URL that you can go to directly. 
Um, let's get back to, you know, I'm going to ba- go back to the beginning, beginning. Um, when, you know, you know, the part where you <laughs> are graduated from or were graduated from Brown um, with a degree in philosophy and zero marketing skills. You don't have to keep saying that last I know part. How That's much not you necessary. Like that. <laughs> That's um, really not necessary to rub that in, you know. Well, no, but I wanted to. Here's my question. Here's my question. How did you go from there yeah. to, um, to being um, the lead of this goodkidproductions.com? Um, how did you find your way to there? Um, uh, blind self confidence, delusional self confidence. I mean, you know, people, you know, uh, as we're seeing in the in the career trajectory of Kanye West, blind self confidence can have some downsides, but it can have good sides too. That dragon energy can be empowering. You know, I think it's um, I. Let me see if I can say this in a way that's interesting. I do know that when I was 24, I felt completely existentially marooned and aimless, and I'd gone to some of the fanciest schools imaginable, and. A lot of tuition dollars had been spent on my education. And it was reasonably good at imparting certain academic skills. But when it came to that foundational question of like, what the hell do I do with my professional life? It was shocking how little advice I'd received. Mm. And part of that is because elite educational institutions are not primarily about giving you, helping you navigate this luxury, I mean, again, you have to be born into a r- rich Western country to have the luxury of even, you know, worrying about, well, how do I match my quote unquote passions or interests with something that'll generate money for me, right? But I had that luxury and nobody could help me with it. All I got was, all anybody could say is you should just go to law school. Oh, oh that was like, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I'm certain that part of the reason when I was 24, I had a extraordinarily charismatic and professionally accomplished father who ended up becoming the head of uh, a top flight surgeon at Hopkins. And when I was in my formative years, on the positive side, he really gave me a sense of self-confidence and ambition when it came to what, what you could try to accomplish professionally. But then he died when I was 19 and I never got that back half of how do you actually go about implementing those mm-hmm. ambitions. Interesting. So having the ambitions is like 1% of it. The other 99% is the grind. <laughs> and I was like, yo, no one told me about the grind. I just <laughs> yeah. jobs. I can't just, I have to grind too. And so my 20s were like a very painful process of trying to self-educate and take right action towards aligning what I like to do with what I'm reasonably good at with what, with what people pay me money for. And I've, I've always loved film and that's kind of how we emerge to where it is now. And even now there's still an evolutionary process where I'm trying to figure out like, it, what it doesn't matter, but it's, it's, um, and I thought also, yeah, so just, I was self-taught. I didn't want to go to film school. I didn't need any more homework assignments. I wanted to go out and do it. So around 26, 27, when the existential panic gets great enough and you really come to terms with the inevitability of your own death and you know that you have a limited amount of days in this life, when you have wild ambitions, you just do them because you know like the only thing waiting for you is the void. And the thing for me is I thought about this idea of making a documentary deconstructing the North Korean propaganda apparatus. And... I'd been fascinated by North Korea and um, there's this essential mystery, which is people, it's an authoritarian hellscape, but people have been predicting the imminent collapse of the North Korean regime for 30 or 40 years. Mm. That was, it's teetering. It's this dysfunctional socialist dystopia and it keeps living. It, it, it's, it's proven remarkably resilient. And, and I had figured out that by reading people that are much smarter than me, <clears throat> an essential part of the regime's resilience is its extremely fine-tuned propaganda apparatus, the very particular narrative and story that it feeds its people, which works remarkably well at cultivating a sense of solidarity and loyalty to the regime. But I'm just like, 
an idiot without any marketable skills, excessive self-confidence and a philosophy degree. I don't know how to make films, but I got a very small fellowship to basically teach myself how to make them. Mm. And the production process culminated with me going to North Korea in the summer of 2010. And then I made a short video from there. And then it's just been a series of hustling. I, I never would have been able to predict that that would lead me to where we are now, which again is the advice that I give to other young people, which is don't, don't think about too much about connecting the dots. Just yeah. like see what's in front of you for the next three months maximum and yeah. kick the, sh- kick the crap out of that. And then try to pounce on opportunities as they emerge. And I think the thing we did with uh, frankly, what you the Kenosha documentary, the other stuff we're doing were dramatically better and more sophisticated as storytellers and technicians of video production but the essential elements of my kind of editorial style my investigatory style the kind of issues that i'm interested in are all in that initial north korea documentary which is an embarrassment to me now because i was like learning how to use editing software (laughs) while i was making it but that's um yeah i mean i kind of just threw force a real survived i mean it's amazing that you are here to tell the story you sound like my mom yeah, you sound like my mom and my fiance at the time. But like, yeah, I'm going to go to North Korea. You don't get to have a cell phone and you can't have an email. So I'm going to spend 10 days in communication blackout. In North- but it was a little bit, it honestly was never that scary. It's not that dangerous. I mean, when you go there at the airport, you're met by two government handlers. And you are told to follow very specific travel routes. And as long as you stay within the confines accorded to you by the dear leader, you're fine. The people that have gotten in trouble since, not to justify them getting in trouble because what happened to like auto is not okay, um, are people that violate those strictures. They think they can get away with some, you know, they they think they can get away with stuff. Yeah, well, we got um, met at the airport from Pyongyang. We had two handlers. One of them was a completely soft warm guy in his early 30s that if he'd been born in des moines illinois Mm -hmm. would be a beloved presbyterian youth minister Mm -hmm. and the other one was like a 60 year old woman who pretended to not not know english who very clearly was the enforcer (laughs) who very clearly was the person on the lookout he was very clearly the person watching out in case our presbyterian youth minister got a little loosey-goosey with some of the rules well, you know, considering what you were trying to um, portray in the film, in the documentary, um, like if they knew what you were doing, trying to find the secret, figure out the secret to how they control everybody. Yeah. Well, it's not a secret, though. I mean, Carol, it's not really a secret. It's it's plastered everywhere. I mean, they and I we, I talked to them and I got some I got some kind of surreptitious covert video footage of North Koreans speaking to this effect. They're very open about their founding mythology. They're very open about the narrative that they feel embedded in, in terms of what these sacrifices they make for the regime are for. And it's to bring about the glorious reunification of the Korean peninsula and the protection of the, and the protection of the pure Korean blood and the defeat of the evil Yankee imperialists. And that, and, and the worship, of the central Confucian family, which is the Kim family, the kind of the, the patriarch that you owe your loyalty to. And that for, I think it's a sizable chunk of the Korean population, obviously not everybody, that story is, there's, a, there's a, an inspiration to it. And, it, and, and obviously it sets, you know, it's the matrix, like it, it sets kind of these, their invisible boundaries on what can be imagined or what can be thought that can be broken through because they're just, they're just storytelling. They're just stories that have been imposed upon you by authorities. But even we like every people in America live by certain stories that they don't question. They just consider them as like base level foundation of reality. And there are similar powerful stories that the average North Korean just takes as unquestionable base level reality. So I'm not sure how we got to North Korea, but that's a, that was my solution to my quarter-life crisis. I'm not recommending everybody go eat pizza in Pyongyang to solve the quarter-life crisis, but that's what I did. I mean, that's... I, that, I mean, I didn't even realize that um, Americans were allowed to just 
you know, take off and go there like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you have to fly in. Uh, they have a train you can take, but if you're an American, you're not allowed to take the train. And it's still open to visitors. There's like maybe four or five specialty uh, tour companies that, 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 that will overstay the, the 10 days an evil, polluted, Yankee imperialist like myself is allowed to set foot on North Korean <laughs> soil. <laughs> uh, so obviously, even back then, I liked um, breaking and exposing myths, misrepresentation, propaganda, things like that. And and now if you're thinking about what are the most important sources of propagandistic mind control in America, it's uh, certain neat liberal narratives that are churned out at an industrial scale by the vast majority of the kind of prestige legacy media operations. So yes. that's what we and you know, yes, and I wanted to mention actually um, one thing that we didn't talk about in regard to um, Jacob Blake or uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. I mean, and and you were talking about and the people like Biden and and uh, Kamala and all that who who as they do with these kinds of mass shootings of any sort or um, uh, of course the narrative is this is why then that we should, uh, the people shouldn't be allowed to use the, have to own guns. You know, that is what they, you, how they use Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, and, you know, the story for that this was, this was an, a very good example of why, <laughs> why kids shouldn't play with guns. Um, you know, and that does happen every time. I mean, even now, just with the recent two mass shootings in California, um, that's yeah. what happens. That's the, uh, you know, but, and of course, and I, you know, there was a while back. I used to believe that a long time ago, until until Obama became president, and then I realized, yes, this is why we all need to have guns because we can't trust that our leaders will always be good people. With yeah, that, of course. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, of course, of course, of course. Yeah. I want to know how you do at Beverly Hills dinner parties, though. When you say things like that, how does it go over? Or you go escape. Who is it that you, is that why you have this radio show is so you can admit those things outside of, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Yes, I try to, I try to uh, read the room. Okay. Well, let me, we, unfortunately our, our time is up and I want to tell people again, most important thing is the, uh, website, um, for both this video, the, um, uh, the video, the broken boys of Kenosha that we've been talking about um, and other uh, documentaries the website is goodkidproductions.com. And I'd like to thank my guest again, Rob Munts. This was a lot of fun and I wish you more, more, um, well, more trips to places that give you inspirations. Although in, these days in America, you don't have to go very far. Yeah. And I don't have to go very far at all. Thank you so much. Yeah. People should just look on, you also can just go to directly to YouTube and type in good kid productions. You'll find our stuff there. Okay, that's a good way to. All right, well, again, thank you so much, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.